opportunity to hear your word, to understand your word, to send your word uh, into our hearts so that it, it produces, it increases. We thank you, Lord, for the increase in your word as we walk it out and as we obey you according to what you desire for us. So, Lord, we honor you, love you, and we ask you to open up our ears, our eyes, and our hearts. We agree to mix your word with faith today so that we can be doers of the word and receive the blessing of it in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So we're going to talk today about God's powerful peace. Amen. God's powerful peace. Uh, I was thinking about it. Uh, uh, in, in, you know, as you, as you understand the things of God and you begin to start to, um, put put into practice what you learn from the word uh, it's very important to get a good understanding of how god's word works at least as much as you can understand you know i mean there's a lot of understanding that we can get some things we won't <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that um, you can't operate in what you know and you can't operate successfully in what you know. And I have found out over the years that uh, the teaching of faith, you know, the word of faith teaching that we had because it was so fundamental to everything that we we uh, know and we do um and it is. It's very important. But I began to find out that faith needs other things to help it to be effective in our lives. In order for faith to bring results, number one, it has to be uh, motivate us to some work. Faith is an act. It's not just something that is in you and it sits in you and it it brings everything to you by the fact that it exists. Uh, There has to be a way to put it to work so that it begins to work for you. Other than that, faith would just be out there doing its own thing. It does not work independent of the hearer and the doer. And so faith is like a bullet. Somebody's got to pull the trigger on it. To get it to do its job. Other than that, it's it's a potential weapon, but it's not doing what a bullet is supposed to do, hit a target, you got me? And so your works are what pulls the trigger on your faith to release it. And inside that bullet, it has the word that you want to see come to pass. And so when you begin to speak that word, that's the first step. But at some point, you're going to have to step into some activity that proves your faith. And so we find that faith is kind of weak in and of itself. It's very powerful, don't get me wrong. But in and of itself, by itself, it's fairly weak because you find that it needs other spiritual forces to work with it. In order to make it as powerful as it is. One of the things that I've noticed over the years in seeing Word of Faith teachers, I see that they've all now, they've hit a brick wall. 
And by that, and I'm not talking about, I'm not putting anybody down. Just get that out of your head, okay? I'm not trying to kill your favorite preacher here. But I'm trying to get you to see the limitations of doctrine. Doctrine means, doctrine refers to a principle or teaching of a body of knowledge. So Christianity is a body of knowledge. It's not a religion. It is a way of life. It's a discipline. But it's also a body of knowledge. There are certain things that you must know in order to be effective as what we call a Christian. And so when we examine this body of knowledge, we find that there are certain doctrines within the body of knowledge. Number one, the doctrine of faith. That means uh, in, in the doctrines of of baptisms, uh, being born again, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, repentance from dead works, faith toward God. All of those are doctrines of Christianity, which is a, it's a body of knowledge for how to live your life so you can call yourself a Christian. You gotta repent from dead works and turn toward God as your first step in Christianity. From there, there are other doctrines that are built onto that first fundamental uh, understanding that you have. Faith toward God is one of those doctrines. But it is just a portion of the body of knowledge that we must bring forth so that we can get everything God wants us to get out of this Christian experience. And I have found that Doctrine, the doctrine of the word of faith takes you only so far in its expression of what makes faith work. What makes faith work is the action of number one, believing it in your heart. That's got to happen. You can't just speak words. You can't just recite the Bible and have all that stuff. You just recite it. You know, for a fact, you've got to have relationship with the word. So you've got to hide it in your heart. You must believe it in your heart and then confess it with your mouth. You can't do it the reverse. Doesn't work the reverse. So it's what you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that brings you into that place that we call a peace of God or a Christian uh, situation or a situation where you can see that your faith is beginning to produce something. Faith is a now spiritual force, which means that when faith comes into your heart, you experience a now witness from the Holy Ghost. How many of you have read the Bible and it became so alive to you? You say, oh, wow, 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 wow. That's faith. So that faith came to you in a now. And it gives you a present reality of the truth of what you just read. So when you, when you talk about faith, there is a now content to that faith. But then you notice that that word didn't come to pass because you got excited over it. It didn't happen right away. So then there's that now experience of faith. And then you've got to to rest again in the fact that even though you've received something by faith, there is more to getting it to manifest than you know. There's some mysteries afoot here. 
And so you begin to work with it as best you can. You meditate on it as often as you think. You know, the, what we do usually is we're believing God for something. We prayed for it. We believe we received it when we prayed. And when it doesn't show up, you think, oh, it's not here yet. Maybe I need to confess the word more, say it more, get back in my word. Anybody live like that? I do. And so you go back to the word because you know what we're trying to get? We're trying to get that feeling that we got the first time we believed. So you're trying to refresh that feeling within you. It, I, I can say it helps you to stay faithful to what you're believing God for, but we don't know for a fact that it really hastens you're getting what you need from God. Just because you forgot you hadn't confessed and then went and confessed and got back in the word, you think that makes it come faster. See, we think that's, we always, you know, if God is faithful, he's going to bring it to you regardless. You believe you received it when you prayed. Now that doesn't mean that you live sloppy in between. Because you have to let your your faith then take you to the place where it's going to manifest. Suppose it's going to manifest five years from now. And you go and do something else that indicates that you gave up on that. People do it all the time. You believe God, God is going to bring you a spouse and you got all this Christian, a lot of money, not no deadbeat, love God, going to pray all the time. Go, we, you know, our list is 10 most important things. And so you, you think it's time is getting short and it's never going to happen and this is wrong and that's wrong. You go marry somebody else. You're not going to be at the place of availability. That God would have you be in order to receive in the natural what you say you believe in your heart that you possess from God. So you go and get a substitute. Amen. Come on now. So the confession really is more to keep you encouraged and help you not to walk away from the promise. It's probably not going to get God to move any faster for you with it. Because everything he has for us is on schedule already. It's already ordered. It's already in the mail. It's already set for delivery. And so what we are doing is fighting the good fight of faith to hold on to what we have. While we're in the waiting, what we call the waiting room of God's delivery. So really that confession is not to get it here faster, which sometimes we think that's what it's doing. But I believe that confession is to hold you together so that you can live off the fruit of the spirit instead of getting discouraged that it's never going to happen. And so while we're in that process of believing God, we find that there's something else here besides faith that's got to work on our behalf or we're not going to make it just believing and confessing. You'd be a tired out sister or brother 
trying to make it happen like that and keep yourself together just with faith as the main thing. So then we find that, that there are works of faith, there are corresponding actions to faith. There's also the faithfulness of God. Where you're going to have to confront one day, do I believe God said he's going to do this or not? And if I believe God said he's going to do it, I'm going to have to stop fretting. I'm going to have to stop complaining. I'm going to stop the whining, quit watching to see when he's going to do it. I'm going to have to leave all of that alone if I really, really trust God and trust his word. So see, many times we inject ourselves into this whole equation. When that faith has nothing to do with us. It's borrowed. Because it's imputed. It's You didn't make it. You didn't conjure it up. You don't control it. You don't own it. It's the faith of the son of God. It's the Abraham brand of faith. And with Abraham, he got credit for it, but it wasn't his. He just believed God, just like a son would do. So he began to flow in sonship, and that's what God wants us all to do. Well, sons know that they have an inheritance, and they pretty much know it's going to come one day. They're just not sure the details of it, but they know they got something coming. And so God then wants to develop More than giving us stuff, he wants to develop the father-son relationship with between us. He wants us to operate in the way that he sees us. And that is joint heirs with Christ, heirs of all things that pertain to life and godliness, nothing being withheld from us. All things are, are for our enjoyment. But I'm telling you, if you're looking at faith only as the cornerstone of of your life with God, you're going to be sorely disappointed because you're going to find it's a pretty dry life without the rest of the fruit of the Spirit to go along with it. So word of faith movement has hit a wall. Why is that? Because they can't get from their confessing and believing, they can't get certain mountains to move. There are going to be certain mountains that won't move without something else still to go with the word. And one of the things that people forget about the word is the power behind it. There must be an anointing on those words In order for them to have an impact in the earth. If I say, uh, 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 thank you Lord for healing me by your stripes I am healed. I'm not just saying something. There is a power behind what I say. There's an anointing on the words that I say. And there must, those words are having an impact according to what's, what the word says and the impact on the anointing behind them. So then the anointing becomes prominent again. Like at the turn of the century, everything was the baptism in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, and you had to have the Spirit. And then we found people went off the rails because they all they wanted to woo-woo all day long, pray in tongues and fall in trances. And that really didn't get them 
as far as God wanted them to get. Then you hear people saying things like the word, the word must come as well as the spirit. You have to mix the word with the spirit. Uh, they, they had a saying, too much spirit, not enough word makes you something i don't know and too much word not enough spirit so we find we had to combine the two well that only makes sense because there's a spiritual force behind your words how can anybody even think that there wasn't a spiritual force there to make the words have an impact many times well you know when you go to to witness to people and preach the gospel you know the only reason now these are the same words you speak to family members casual acquaintances anybody else but somehow when you go out when god has sent you those words move mountains they have a bigger impact that's why many times people go out witness and are shocked how easy it is when you go out with the purpose of witnessing. When you're around family members, you have to be careful about everything. Yeah. Toning it down. Or they don't like you. They don't want to be around you every time we're around him. I hope he don't start that religion stuff. Huh? Hmm. So God's smart. He knows when to pump up the volume. He knows when you're free and at no risk. You go out anonymously with your do-rag and your shades on and your need prayer t-shirt on and pray for any and everybody. Mm. You have a line around the corner, people waiting for prayer. Get around your own and you better not say that around something so there is a power behind the words and thank god it's there because that power is what's going to make the real impact in our words see and that power is what god controls that's never going to be under our control it's always under god's control didn't the disciples when they got thrown in jail what was their prayer Give us more boldness. Because we're getting scared, Lord. They're throwing us in jail and treating us bad. So what did they say? Give us more boldness. Why? Because they knew God was going to tell them to go anyway. They couldn't renegotiate, go ye. They knew they had to go. So we got to go, God. Give us something that's going to keep us, uh, you know, with the ups on things and not get us just in trouble and thrown in jail. We need more boldness because we're scared. And so God determines the force, the anointing, the temperature of your words, the impact of your words, with what the force they have on them. When they bring, when they come to pass, all of that is what God determines. So put it this way, our our bootleg confession, you know, like my example, you know, that's not happening fast enough. You realize you haven't confessed the word in like two or three days and you all of a sudden, oh, yeah, thank you. I believe I received. Thank you, Lord. By your stripes, I'm healed. If God don't turn up the volume on that, this is not going to happen any faster for you. You understand what I'm saying? 
And see, really, what we're trying to do is deceive God into thinking that we're all in faith and we've been in faith all this time. And, oh, God, I, this is three years, three days, and I haven't confessed the word. What am I going to do? So let me hurry up and say it real quick before he notices I haven't been confessing the word. Let me catch up on my confession. The confession was never made for that. It's not. It's not. Because there's so many variables we can't control. Now, it's good to meditate on the word and, and hide it in your heart and stay focused on the word because that helps you to stay faithful. But that word confessing is not just, it's not to impress God that you're doing everything right. You know, let's, let's get that out of our heads because it's so easy to think that that confession is what really makes God do what we want him to do based on how often we say it, if we don't miss any days, how sincere we are, well, yada, 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 yada. So, so really, word of faith must meet a greater power if they're going to do some of the things that they are promising the body of Christ are going to get done. This wealth transfer you keep hearing some people still talk, most of them have quit talking about it because they've lost confidence in it. Because the churches are emptying out because people feel like the promises haven't been kept by God or the preacher. And so now people are looking for what's wrong with this and where do I go now and what do I do next and how do I, well, you stay faithful to God. You weren't there with him for the money anyway. So now God's got to refresh people and get them back to just trusting him in relationship with him. And so the word of faith, though, must meet a higher anointing than a teaching anointing before they can accomplish much of what God in truth has promised his people. It's got to meet a greater anointing. It's got to be where they stay faithful and trustworthy enough to God for him to turn up the heat on our word so they can begin to produce. Because they've got to plow through a lot of ignorance. They've got to plow through a lot of resistance. They've got to plow through a lot of people who've never heard of God and don't want to hear of God. Uh, liberal-minded people who think that, that um, they are a God to themselves. It's up to us to do everything because, you know, and throwing God out of everything. So we've got to get something else to go with that confession that we've been doing for 50 years that hasn't really brought us what we're supposed to have. So now the word has to meet the spirit again in greater impact so that we can receive the things that God has for us considering the negative spiritual climate that's out there. Now, how did that negative spiritual climate increase by words? You look at how words are heard and how prevalent they are. Everybody has a platform now. Anybody can go on Facebook. You can go on YouTube and have enough videos that get, uh, you know, 10,000 likes and you're a sensation. They'll pay you. To put your videos on there if you get a certain number of likes and don't get followers that diamond and silk, the two um, uh, black ladies that that are Republicans, they defected from the Democrat Party. 
Those women are wealthy now. Know how to get wealthy? YouTube. And, and being around President Trump, who had people around them that coached them how to take the, what they fame they had and market it properly and merchandise it so that they, but, but when you get enough followers on social media, and they have advertisers on there who want to advertise right in front of your spot that you put on. Those people have to pay you. This ain't all free, baby. Huh? And so they're around the right kind of people who know how to market what they do. They have tours. They go around the, the country just getting crowds of people together. They buy tickets, come in to see them. They call it chit-chat. So they they had a chit chat tour, but they're wealthy women. They're well off now because of fame and words. All they did was speak words that they believed and they had enough people interested to follow them continually. And because of social media rules, when you get certain numbers of people clicking like on your thing and viewing your videos and all that kind of stuff, they have to pay you. They have advertisers who want to put their their merchandise on at your spot because they know it's going to be seen. And you you have to be smart enough to when to approach them and say, I have so and so number of people and so forth and so on. They got a, a, a store where you can buy merchandise from them. They got everything. They're set up. And so so, but it starts with words. Right? Now the world knows the power of words sometimes better we do. They use it more consistently because they get out and see something's working for them. And they just keep at it and plow through. Many times we see get a, a blessing from God and we want to quit because that was too much trouble for us. All that confessing and all that praying and stuff. That I mean, you know, if there's an easier way to get it, I'd rather go that route because, you know, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the words that are released now in the earth will determine who wins all the marbles. The words that are being released from your mouth and my mouth will determine the future of this nation other nations it'll determine whether globalist forces actually do take over the world which they have been plotting for many many decades now or whether people who live in free nations will remain free but that's the power of our words so god has given us a covenant of peace with him and that peace comes as a bonus from believing him so really, what he tells us to do in, in Philippians 4, 9, he says, if we need anything, if you, let me go to that and read it to you. I didn't mean to go all over that thing with the word, but I guess we need to hear it. Philippians 4, 9. You need to know what's going on here, folks. You're not just coming here reading some prayers over and over again to no avail.
start in verse 6. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, every, every, every need you have, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. That's a lot. You can't go to God complaining. He said, be thankful. Amen. I don't care how big your need is. He don't put up with that from his kids. Let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind. His peace, which passes all understanding, his powerful peace will keep or guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus who dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do those things and the God of peace will be with you. So that leads you to understand that your obedience to God's word will bring great peace to you. And if there's anything upsetting you in your life, you are to pray, be thankful, and let your request be known to God. And when you get up from prayer, you have his peace to guard you from getting upset about it that it hasn't come. God's peace is given to you at the end of your prayer as God's handshake. So his peace is him shaking your hand to assure you that he's going to do what you have requested that he do. His peace is the same thing as a handshake or a high five or fist bump. Whatever your sign of agreement is, it's a sign of covenant. His peace is a spiritual force that is unequaled in its significance. So many times what we think is that good feeling of faith, you know how when the word comes into you and you're excited about it. If if you take that tranquil feeling with you that's his peace that has descended upon you and you think it was faith doing everything see the bible says abraham believed god and then god did something he gave him a handshake it was accounted to him as righteousness so when we put our faith in god he responds to us in a certain way You can't say, God, I trust you and not get a response from him. You know that that we call it the anointing. We call it, you know, the Holy Ghost. We call it, but that's his peace. He's coming to us and letting us know, I heard you. It's a done deal. And here to cap it, take this with you as a sign that I heard you and it's on the way. So instead of us getting upset about whether we confessed enough or confessed recently or have been in our word, that's another thing that gets believers. You haven't word read the word for three days, a week, a month, four months. 
and you think that somehow God's not going to do what he said he was going to do because you misreading the word. All you did was set yourself up for torment from the devil because he's the one who makes you, you know, you can feel good about your relationship with God and say, God, you know, really help me. I want to read the word every day. I mean, I really do. I know I've slipped off when I was a new Christian. I was so faithful. And now I've gotten older in the Lord. And I was, well, think about it this way. If you stored word up in you, maybe you really don't have to read it as much. Now, growth has to account for something. Now, I'm not advocating not reading the word every day because it's better to read it every day. But God's not going to kill you if you don't. You're not going to fall dead if you don't. You're not going to get a heart attack if you don't. You know what I'm saying? We just get and see, we let the devil get involved with ritual and doctrine and all these things that, that come to your mind outside of relationship with God. If you haven't been in the word for a while, I thank you, Lord, for blessing me and edifying me. I thank you, Lord, by your stripes I'm healed. I am your child. Thank you for blessing me with your covenant of peace. I thank you, Lord, that I know that I know that I know that I have more. I'm a more than a conqueror through him. Lord. You refresh yourself through what you got in you. What do you think he's guarding your heart and your mind with? he's guarding it with the word that's inside of you and that's why you got peace now i know that many times we can start letting the word slip you're smart enough to go get your bible and read it when you haven't read it recently but don't let the devil put you in condemnation about it just go read your word don't sit up there and beat yourself up about what you're not doing go do it and do it do it to to bless yourself don't do it to please or get checked off from for the day from the big the big eraser up in heaven to get you checked off come on now the peace of god is a spiritual force that is unequaled in its significance it's unequaled in its significance. It makes you feel that you can do anything. God's peace does. Let me see if I can find my scripture. I was looking for it before I said, ah, I should write that down. Why didn't I write it down? Um, do you have that one? Anybody can find real quick for where Peter walked on the water. It's in at least three of the four gospels I know. Two, three. Is it in John? I'm going to try John. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Where? Well, I was way off, wasn't I? What is it, Matthew? Okay. All right. Oh, good. Okay. 
We'll start in verse 22. It says, straight away Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the middle of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea, and his disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were troubled, crying out, It's a spirit, and they cried in fear. But he says, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So he sends peace to them. Peace. He sends peace. Let me see what it says in Mark. Mark 6. It's right after he fed the 5,000. Yeah, I see in 650 it says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And John 6, I knew it was in John. (laughs) Yeah, same thing, it is I, be not afraid. But Jesus sent them peace. Sometimes he would say, peace, be still. But when he tells them, don't be afraid, it's the same thing we read in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. But God's peace that passes all understanding is available to you. So what Jesus does is he brings peace To everybody under the sound of his voice. When he tells them don't be afraid it's me. And then from that peace. Peter steps out and wants to walk on water. So then the peace of God must be the powerful force. Not his faith. It is peace that overrides nervousness, peace that overrides human ability, peace that overrides weakness, peace that overrides doubt. See, a lot of times people people have no clue why Peter got out of that boat. But we do know that Jesus said something that made him feel like he could do anything. When he was in the boat scared before Jesus showed up, he looked up and saw Jesus and was scared of him. And when Jesus spoke, things changed. So there was there was the fruit of the spirit on Jesus's voice. There was a command to come out, but but Peter initiated the request. How it, how could he ask to go out there if there wasn't some force that made him feel like he could do anything? 
And that's God's peace that he leaves with us. See, when Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. My peace I leave as a cosign and a calling card and a handshake to let you know I'll take care of whatever it is you requested. It's coming. It's on the way. But also that peace is left there to abide with you and live with you to keep your heart and your mind from going derailed. To keep your heart focused in God. You know how some people can get deceived and think they don't want to serve God anymore? They've let the peace of God depart from them. Because it's there to guard their hearts and minds. You know people, that's why I, I, I admonish you to stay in the flow of what God's doing because the devil picks people off all the time because they're tired of waiting or they're tired of serving or they're tired of this or tired of that you've got to stay in the peace of God you've got to stay you've got to keep that to guard your heart and your mind you can't let your heart get disturbed. You can't, you can't let your mind get too disturbed about what you see going on in the natural. And you definitely can't let it sink down into your heart where the enemy's able to plant something in your heart that's not godly. Because he'll let it grow and fester and pretty one day he's gonna want to harvest off of that evil seed he's planted in there. But God says his peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. You ever you ever have somebody that observes you over a period of time and they say, I don't know how you do so and so. And especially if you're doing something where you're standing on God's word. Now that's the devil coming to get you to move. But you got to understand that God's peace is what keeps you from moving over into the realm of mad, angry all the time, throw the bum out. Who cares about you anymore? God's peace. If you let that peace depart from you, you better go grab it back again because that's your friend. Peace is more your friend than anything. Why? Because it keeps you connected to the promise of God. It keeps you in the flow of expectation of good and not evil. It keeps you in the flow of, no, nah, I'm going to resist this bad mood I'm in for right now, and I'm not going to let it go any farther than it's all. I'm not going to let it rob me of any more than it's already robbed me of. So his peace will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. You gotta keep grabbing for that. When that starts leaving you, you grab for that. Say, Lord, please help me. I mean, forgive me for stepping away in anger and listening to the devil and getting upset about this and upset about that. Sometimes we fall out with people about stuff God hadn't even promised to us. It's just something we heard other Christians say we're supposed to have. You know? You can find out what's for you. You can find out what's pertinent for your situation. You gotta find out what he's holding you accountable for. 
Because sometimes in the quest to get our prayer answered, we walk away from the thing that God called us to do. (laughs) And all the married people say, ouch, I think I'll get it Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah. Huh? I mean, you think it's, you think it's, it's not what it is, but it's that. Well, I can't believe God is going to make me do so. Oh, yeah, he is. You better believe it because <laughs> it's happening now. I've been doing everything he told me to. Ooh, ouch. Are you keeping score on him? Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. We changed places all of a sudden. You, God, and he, she, okay, well, hey. When we obey God, we have his peace as a token. His peace comes to us to hold us in peace until the promise comes and beyond. You ever, you ever get something from God and you forgot how long you've been waiting for it? Or you forgot that it's an answer to something and it just, you like, that's because you've been living off his peace all this time. And you're not moved one way, way or the other. When it comes into your life, that's cool. If don't come, it's cool. You know, when I got my car, I wasn't excited. And I see some people say, I'm getting this and they plaster pictures on. I put that picture on Facebook because the guy who sold it to me asked me. He's a car dealer and he's advertising for other customers. And I say, I'll be happy to because he discounted me because <laughs> God told him to. You understand what I'm saying? But it's not like I'm, I'm real excited over some material thing. I'd rather have peace with God than to have momentary excitement, if you know what I mean. There's a lot of things out here that can momentarily excite you. And will be an ultimate disturbance of your peace with God. So, you know, I don't excite so much anymore. You know, I mean, like, you people, they can't wait to get married. They, you know, oh, said, well, that's another human being like you are. I know who you thought you were marrying, but that person is just like you. They pray sometimes. <laughs> they worship sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. They sometimey, just like you. Uh, so don't be shocked when sometime he shows up. Well, have a sense of humor about things, folks. I mean, life is too short to stew about things that you're disappointed in. So anyhow, let us move on. But when we obey him, we have his peace, which is a great thing. And I still believe that God's peace is what Peter walked out on. Now, I'm not saying he didn't have faith, but I'm telling you, you don't get faith to walk on water. you got to have something that keeps the fear off of you long enough for your faith to work. But somehow his heart and his mind were guarded when he stepped out of that boat. And so we describe that as the peace of God. 
And so Jesus offers his peace. In other words, Peter says, Lord, if that's you, can I come out? Jesus said, come. He made his requests known and the peace of God which pass understanding of him never having walked on water and never even had a thought to do it guarded his heart and mind through Jesus Christ whom when he took his eyes off Jesus what did he do? He started to sink. He disturbed his own peace by noticing the natural elements. And that's all that happens to us when we're, we're going along, doing good, believing God, real happy, real joyful, real, you know, Christians. And then all of a sudden we're disturbed about when is it gonna, when's it gonna happen? How long is it gonna take? When are you gonna do it, God? No, 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 no. You just stepped off like Peter did over into the natural realm, start letting stuff bug you. Huh? Then the devil says he uses age for everybody. I'm always shocked at how young some people are and think they're too old. You understand what I'm saying? I say it's gotta be the devil. <laughs> walk walk in my moccasins, <laughs> my friend. Uh, but but it's amazing that we disturb our own peace by getting our anxiety back again. See, you left anxiety in the natural realm when you made your request known to God. And you stepped out of the natural realm into the spirit and got his peace. You've been walking in it for a season. And now you've stepped off into the natural again and lost his peace. But you can get it back. Because he has a covenant of peace with us. In other words, what he promises everybody is peace. Amen? He promises everybody a handshake on every request. He promises everybody that he will guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ for as long as you will live on this earth where you walk in a place where you feel that nothing is missing out of your life. There's nothing to be upset about. There's nothing to be disgruntled about. That's peace. It goes beyond, it's not just a feeling, it's an assurance that God is in control of everything. It's higher than faith. He has a covenant of peace with us that passes all understanding. Once we enter into faith, we're pleasing to God. So he gives us his peace in exchange for our obedience. So his peace really means he's satisfied with what we've done. And he doesn't take it back. We withdraw from it. When you lose your peace is because you have withdrawn from it. Because you've let the enemy pry you away from it and move you off of it. But it's there all the time. It's a covenant. It's there for us all the time. We just drop our hand holding God's hand or we lose confidence in it. Or we let the devil talk us out of being peaceful about things. 
We're so used to giving thought to everything. We're so used to being anxious about, we're used to say, we just think we're sitting around waiting for something to happen and we can get a certain reaction to it that shows that we care or we're in the fight or whatever it is, you know. Crazy old habits. But once faith is entered into, we please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But with faith, we please him. So he gives us his peace in exchange for our obedience. That's peace that God gives us when we make our request known to him. It does several things for us. It lets us know, number one, his peace lets you know he has heard you. Number two, it lets you know he says yes. Number three, God gives us assurance and comfort through his peace while we are waiting. You ever hear people say things like, well, for I was getting nervous for a minute and, and then I remembered, you understand, when you came back to peace. What you did was you put yourself in remembrance of it. You went back through your steps. Now, I did pray, and God, I remember when God, I had peace about it at one time. Well, you can get it back. See, that's part of the good fight of faith is holding on to peace with God and not letting your mind get. How do you think Abraham believed God for a kid when he was 99 years old? He had a covenant of peace with God. God's peace guarded his heart and mind. The whole time, I don't know, he probably had some days when he was kind of doubtful. But in the end, peace won out. So peace is the superior winning force in this fight of faith. Peace is a knockout punch to doubt, fear, anxiety, unbelief, lack on your part. You ever had the devil tell you something like, Oh yeah, well you did have faith at one time, but it's not, it's, you know, you don't have faith right now. There's something wrong with your faith. Well devil, that couldn't be true because it ain't my faith anyway. I borrowed it from Jesus. Huh? Could nothing be wrong with it. It's the faith of God. There's nothing wrong with my faith. All I gotta do is get back in it again and start thanking God for what I have. Show God your faith. Show Him that you believe Him. God gives us assurance and comfort while we wait. His peace leaves us intact mentally, emotionally, physically in every place of our being. Where before we were fragmented and broken, now we're intact. We act like we walk around here acting like we never did anything wrong. We don't have any problems. We're not in debt. We're not upset. Huh? Because of his peace. Because we know he takes care of everything. What can you desire that God won't do for you? You know, unless it's covetousness. But we ain't talking, we're not talking about ungodly desires. We're talking about things that come from your heart. From your innermost being, where God, from your spirit, where God resides. 
There may be things that we do not yet possess, but his peace gives us the, the fulfillment as though we have them. Huh? Not faith. It's peace. Hmm? Faith is the substance of what we, we have, what we want. But until we get God's peace, there's no assurance that we're going to get it. So faith initiates the request. Then peace lets you know it's coming. See, faith doesn't give you that. His peace lets you know it's coming. He lets you know it's coming. That's why he's called the God of peace. Because the devil is a God. He's God of this world. But he's not a peaceful God. What did Daniel tell uh, um, the, the, uh, the king? He said, it's not in me. But God will give you an answer of peace. It wasn't the best news he could have got. But he had peace about it. At the end of it, he knew. See, your peace comes from who's in control. It doesn't come from what you want and how much of it you're going to get. has nothing to do with that. But your peace comes from the one that's in control of what you want. Don't keep, don't quit on it until you get God's peace and his assurance that he heard you and it's on the way. See, many people get prayer and they go away from the altar worried. They get prayer and they, they're not sure it's going to happen or they act like they didn't pray. You have to learn how to abide in this peace because it's there for you. He gives us assurance and comfort while we wait. Solomon was the richest and wisest man ever known in before and since. His word, his name tells everything. Solomon means what? Peaceful. Even though he was disobedient, he messed up with foreign wives, he stepped away from God. Part of, part of his, but look at what he was able to accomplish when he did walk with God. And so he lived in wisdom and riches because he sought peace with God. That was the first thing he asked. He, he wanted to get the fear out of him from being king over Israel. The first thing God responded to him for was wisdom and understanding and how to rule these people because God, I'm scared. I'm young. I don't know what I'm doing. My dad's just passed away. I don't have anybody here to help me. So God steps in and gives Solomon reassurance. He said, I will be with you. I will give you wisdom and I will give you knowledge. And because you didn't ask for money, I'm going to give you that too. So God then becomes the God of your spoken request and your unspoken request. He didn't ask for money because he didn't have sense enough to know how much money it would take to run the nation. So God supplied that too. As for all you people who want to be specific, I wouldn't know how to be. You understand what I'm saying? I said, I don't have time to pick my brain. 
or try to figure out, you know, come on, y'all. I mean, some people know, and that's wonderful. But I'm just honest with you. I don't in many things. And I don't have time to try and pick my brain or believe that God is so small that if I didn't specify exactly what I want, he doesn't know what to give me. Are you kidding me? These things have been laid aside for me from the foundation of the earth. I'm just trying to figure out if I can feel around the spirit and see what they look like, feel like it. I was thinking about it the other day. I was the car that I have now. When it came, I I looked at Cece. He said, "Oh, I like it." I said, "That's a big car." This is what I said for about four days. <laughs> the Cece, that's a big. <laughs> so he made fun of me for a couple. Of, he said, "Yeah, I can see you in there driving it now," and he was looking smooth at first, and then he said. <laughs> I'm going to stare well crying. So I said, I better shape up here. <laughs> but then he reminded me, he said, he said, when we first moved here, he said, this is the year the make and everything exactly like the car we test drove. Remember the, the salesman that had the migraine headache and we prayed for him? <laughs> Got him. We took the car for a test drive. I didn't want to drive it. I didn't feel like driving. So Tony drove it. We drove this guy around for the longest time. And then he started complaining about everything. And I, he, he said, yeah. I said, is something wrong? He said, I got migraine. I said, I'll pray for you in a little bit. I said, but it's going to go. You, you won't have it anymore. So we stopped somewhere or something. I don't know what it was. And so I said, well, let me pray for you now. And so I prayed for him and we drove around another little bit and he kept looking i said what you looking for that migraine he said yeah i said it's gone right here i said it's not coming back amen and so so but i remembered when tony said that he says the exact same year and there is same color and everything and i remember telling the lord i said you pick the car for me you do this and i was thinking well do i want this do i want that and in a glimpse i mean it wasn't a vision a dream a trance I just a picture in my mind I saw the tail end of that car and it's exactly what it is now I didn't go through a big list you know get my list out and he knows me by now you understand what God knows you by now you don't have to be afraid he's going to send you something you don't want or you're not going to be happy with. Or if you're not specific down to the last detail, he's going to get it wrong. What does peace mean? It means to cease from labor, number one. I thought that's pretty cool. Because you know a lot of times when something's not here yet, you think you better get busy doing something. I better get to confessing. I got to get in my word. I gotta. It means to cease from your labor. It's peace. It also means to lead a quiet life. It means you're not disturbed. You're not upset. You're not losing your mind. It means security, it means safety, tranquility, powerful, 
wholeness, everything included, nothing left out. In the old covenant, they had what they called a peace offering. This was an offering distinct from your sin offering, your trespass offering, you know, on a day of atonement. And if you sinned in between that one day during the year, you had to present yourself to the priest with the appropriate offering so that your sin could be atoned for, well covered. Was We didn't have the atonement until Christ. But Leviticus chapter 1, well that's good, it'll start out. Chapter 1, starting in verse 2, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say to them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of cattle, even of the herd of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He will offer it voluntarily at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Well, yeah, they did have atonement. They had it, it, but it was partial. It just went from year to year. So the, there was also a peace offering that was given. Let me see where that one is. Well, turn to Leviticus 7 because I thought that was interesting the way it was phrased. So that's the atonement, that's the sin offering, or the trespass offering. Leviticus chapter 7, starting in verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which you shall offer up to the Lord. If he offer it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mingled with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil and cakes mingled with oil of fine flour and fried. Beside the cakes he shall offer for his offering leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. And of it he shall offer one out of the whole oblation for a heave offering to the Lord, and it shall be the priests that sprinkle the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of the offering be a vow or voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice, and on the morrow also the remainder of it shall be eaten, but the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. Well, if you think about it, that makes sense. There's not too many meats you can cook, and they still be fresh after two days. Got it? After three days, it's pretty far gone. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering be eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted nor be imputed to him that offers it. It shall be an abomination. The soul that eats it shall bear his iniquity. But this peace offering was an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord above, over and above your uh, sin offerings and your atonement offerings. So peace offerings were offered up by people 
it's like, well, I'm free of sin, so that's not holding me between, be, holding me back from serving God. That trespass has been atoned for. Everything's all good sin-wise. Let me make an offering to God just out of my goodwill feeling toward me, toward him for what he's done for me. So the peace offering was you sticking your hand out for a handshake between you and God, letting him letting you know and you letting him know that it's all good. Then nothing's standing between the two of you anymore. So all of our offerings really to God in this dispensation are peace and thanksgiving offerings. Because Jesus was offered up for our atonement for our sins. And once we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what we are giving up to him now are peace and thanksgiving offerings that are letting God know I feel good because I'm sinless, because you paid for my sin, and I'm setting something forward to you to bless between us and to appreciate the atonement and appreciate what you've done. It's not like we're indebted to God for anything anymore. See, everything that we're giving now is over and above atonement because you can't pay for your sins anyway. Neither will the blood of bulls and goats pay for them anymore anyway. But what we are in is we're in a jubilee where we have nothing but thanksgiving and appreciation between us and God anymore as far as your offerings concerned. So it's all to the good. I mean, every single penny of it is all to the good when you, when you know that your sins have been forgiven. It's all profit, in other words, from here on in. It's all to the good of what you've done now the exception would be the vow if you promise god you're going to do something you promise god when i get some money i want to give so and so and such and that's something different you pay that vow but it's still to the good to your account and so god wants to keep peace between us and him he made peace with us through the blood of the cross you're not giving so that you can get peace with god You're giving because you have peace with God. You're giving over and above what is normal and necessary for your atonement, for your access to his throne. So God then is able to keep you in his perfect peace at all times because of what Christ has done. Don't play that cheap. Let God know you understand now that you are keeping a peace covenant with him. That he wants you to know when you pray and you release that burden to God or you release that request to God, he wants you to know he heard you and the answer is forthcoming once and for all. You don't have to keep get going back and saying, well, God, did you really say that? Or God, you still mean it? Or God, are you still going to do this for me? Or God, is it too late for me? Or God, have I waited too long? Or God, is this, you know, you don't have to do that. Just grab a hold of his peace again. Oh, God, forgive me. I stepped away from your peace. I let it slip, God. I let it get away from me. I should be rejoicing. That's why he gives us days to rejoice and be glad in. He doesn't give us any down days. All of them are for gladness and rejoicing. Why? Because we have peace with him. 
No more fear. No more animosity. No more you can't have it. No more you don't qualify. No more any of that. The blood qualifies you. Your faith gives you access. The blood gives you access. The atonement gives you access. It's all good. Whatever you desire from God, he's, he'll give it to you. He said that. So you can take him at his word. You don't have to doubt anything. It's not based on your performance. We couldn't perform well enough anyway. He's got a son that was perfect in all of his ways. So he don't need our performances. But he does need us to trust him. We must trust him in order to please him. Amen. All right, Father, why don't we, uh, we can stop. Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding, for goodness and mercy, for the things that follow us all the days of our lives. We thank you for your powerful peace. It passes all understanding, Lord. It is the spirit of Christ, Father. Thank you, Lord. Let your peace flow like a mighty river. Let your peace encompass and engulf everything that's not like you, that would hinder us from that pure relationship with you. We thank you for it, Lord. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen.